This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, Josh Williams. Josh, this I think this is the third podcast we've done in less than 24 hours, so I know you're well, but perhaps for those who uh, for those millions of Everton fans who are listening, <laughs> how are you, mate? I'm good, mate, yeah. This 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 podcast is going from a periodic podcast to a weekly, <laughs> weekly podcast here, considering the number of wins that Everton are getting. Yeah, that's it. I do feel a little bit like we're kind of jumping on the bandwagon because, <laughs> you know, it was so... Uh, it was irregular at one point. Although, in fairness, it was regular, wasn't it? And then it kind of slowed down after um, after this kind of lockdown stuff kicked in. And then we brought it back, and it was only meant to be occasionally. But, yeah, you know, you can't not talk about Everton at the moment because they're playing so well. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We'll we'll touch on Crystal Palace into uh, in today's show. Obviously, that was a, a good win on the weekend. We'll then briefly talk about West Ham as well. Um, another hat-trick with Dominic Calvert-Lewin in that game, which was good to see. And then we'll look ahead to a tricky game on the weekend. Brighton, who you know don't 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 have the best record so far this season, but when you look beyond the surface, they, they look like they're quite a good side actually. So as I said, it could be a bit of a tricky fixture. But we'll uh, we'll kickstart things with Crystal Palace, Josh. It was a game that we previewed last week. Um, ended up being a fairly tight affair, certainly in terms of the scoreline. Now it wasn't the easiest of games. Um, any general thoughts on the on the game from your perspective? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it went roughly as as I expected it to go. Really, yeah. In fact, saying that, I think I predicted two one, didn't I? What did you predict? I think I was uh, a little bit more giddy. I mean, so I meant, I think I went three one. Three, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's nice. You know, three weeks in to get a prediction, right? But yeah, that's it. You're off the off the mark. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it was a tough game. Um, obviously, the, I, I, I kind of bigged them up a little bit, didn't I? To be quite a difficult side to specifically break through, while also managing counter attacks on the opposite side. But I think it's really it's going to benefit you a great deal if if you can break through inside ten minutes, as Everton did. I must admit, I was quite surprised when he scored so so early, um, and then that changes the whole dynamic of the game. Then really, Crystal Palace can no longer rely on counter attacking. Everton don't have to overcome it. Players forward, and although an equaliser eventually came and, and and all that sort of stuff, and Everton ended up winning the match through what you could argue is a, a relatively lucky penalty. Um, I do think it was you know a valuable three points gained at a difficult place away from home against the team that had won two matches out of two. Yeah. Yeah, I agree totally. Um, if uh, I, th- I thought scoring early was important, I remember being really happy about that, thinking, you know, this is going to change the dynamics of the game in our favour. Probably the only frustrating aspect was to then go and concede a, a soft set-piece goal, you know, before 30 minutes were on the clock. Um didn't really hold on to that lead long enough. It was a really soft goal to concede. And at that point, it felt like, you know, the game could have, could have potentially gone either way. But thankfully, Everton do take the lead before half time. Okay. You know, the penalty situation, it feels like it's blew up over the weekend with, the, with all the handball, um, chatter, shall we say? We've, uh, we don't really tend to get bogged down in that in our kind of podcast that we do. I think in terms of the letter of the law, it was a penalty, but I appreciate that, you know, maybe the, the law is the issue, but we uh, we won't go into that. And long story short, it felt like a tougher game um, and there was a narrative that Everton maybe got a little bit lucky in terms of winning through the penalty, but in reality, we have a look at the, the match numbers. Everton did seem to be the better side. Uh, we look at the, the XG on the day, it was 1.5 for Everton, um, zero. 0.9 for Palace. Um, Everton had nine shots on target. I mean, nine shots and four of which were on target. Palace had eight shots, but only one was on target, which was obviously the goal. Again, a little bit annoying that they have one shot on target and lead to a goal, but there you have it. Uh, and then possession again, Everton, 58% to 42. So 
based on based on those numbers, Josh, you'd say Everton were you know the the better side. Yeah, so it looked deserved on Everton's part. To be honest, um, if you look at the expected goals according to Statsbomb, they had Everton one point nine, Palace zero point nine. Um, as you said, only eight shots from Palace. Interestingly, uh, one thing I picked up on Everton they yet to face ten shots or more in a match. Mm. Well, that's that that certainly bodes well for the team moving forward. Obviously, a lot of the focus is on the improvements on the attacking side, but I think what's crucial is that. At the opposite end, you know, Everton are keeping things tight, so that keeps you in games. And, you know, I'm not sure how much how many Everton have actually conceded in the league so far. Just double checked. I don't think they've conceded too many. Three, I think it is. Three and three three games. So, yeah. you yeah. know, roughly an average of one goal a game across this very small sample size. Um, yeah. And, you know, not only did um, Everton keep Palace to fewer shots than, than Everton actually took themselves, albeit there's only one in it. The actual shot locations were much better for Everton. I thought Palace's shot locations weren't great. Yeah. Quite unrealistic. Um, Everton, as well as the penalty, had seemed to have quite a few in and around the six-yard box. Mm. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think it did Everton a disservice. Same 1.5 there, as you correctly pointed out, it was 1.9. Um, I used the same data provider. I think I've just typed it wrong, which is poor on my part. Um, but yeah, you know, really good... Really good win, important win. Um, we can't not talk about uh, James Rodriguez again. I know we kind of dedicated a few minutes to him last week, but he, he's gone and be, had a really good performance again. Um, certainly just in terms of creating chances. You know, it was on, on the day he had seven shot-creating actions and obviously two goal-creating actions because he was involved in in both delete, the build-up to both goals. Um you know, Josh, we've just pointed out there, Everton had nine shots on the day and Amis Rodriguez contributed to seven of them. You know, it's it, his influence is, seems to be huge, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I mentioned last week in, in my preview to the game. That was kind of my key my, my key aspect, whether whether Hammers will be allowed to play. Because against a team like this, he's gonna be quite integral really to open up opening up the block. Um and he, he did it again, really. Yeah. I mean, as you said, Everton had nine shots on the day. Hammers seven shot creating actions, but he, he, even if you remove the shot creating actions and you just look at the shot he took himself and the shots he assisted, it, it that, accum- that accumulates five. So again, that's more than fifty percent of Everton's shot output coming directly from Hammers Rodriguez, which is the same against Spurs in the, on the opening day. I'm not sure what the numbers were for West Brom. Mm. But he seems to be responsible lately in the Premier League for basically half of Everton's attack almost in terms of actually producing things, not just not necessarily building play, but in terms of producing actual shot creation and stuff like that. Hammers is, is, is key. Mm. I'm, all, I'm almost already getting a little bit apprehensive of the thoughts of him not being available. Well, that's, that's the thing. And I, I thought to myself, to be honest, you know, when it when it comes to December in particular, and there's a match every three days, and you you're almost forced to rotate, that is maybe when the the issues are going to prop up mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, being able to keep winning, being able to keep the positive results despite your best players not being on the pitch, basically, and it's mm-hmm. the second things that come into it then, and you know, teams start dropping points, so. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how Everton cope when that comes. Yeah, because Steve, you know the, the examples we've had so far have been the Carabao Cup, which we haven't really spoke about in, in on this podcast yet, and we'll we'll touch on West Ham a little bit, but it's not because it's it's not considered important. Uh, you know, obviously it's a competition Everton want to win, but I think it's just the type of competition that you maybe start focusing more on in the later round. So we'll talk about West Ham shortly. Um, but yeah, in the in the two. Fixtures against lower league opposition, he didn't he didn't play in either, and Everton you know coped pretty well. He created a ton of chances, scored plenty of goals. Um, but I did think it was telling that yesterday when it was we're, we're recording on Thursday um, last night when Everton come up against Premier League opposition in the cup, Hamez comes back into the side, um, which to me said he, he's probably going to. He's seen as Ancelotti as the, the main kind of 
attacking force for Everton against you know better teams. And I agree. It's, it, although it's, it it is a positive, there is just this niggling concern that you know if, if Everton become too reliant on them, are you going to get um, to those December January months, or if you know he picks up the odd niggling injury, are Everton going to be a little bit? Um, what's the term I'm looking for? A bit more toothless, shall we say, up top in terms of chance creation. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but that's ifs and buts, maybe at this time. For now, you know, we we, we can only focus on on the positive impact he's had. Um, I would say, just as a side point, I think he's not just himself in terms of creating chances, having a positive impact. But I think him, along with the other players that have come in, have definitely you know brought a, a lot a lot more balance to the side and just getting a little bit more out of the players that were already in the team. Now, I I, I put a tweet out this week where I was talking about uh, Andre Gomez. Now, he's a player who I've been fairly critical of in the past. I don't think you particularly are blown away by me either, are you, Josh, in terms of the no, what he offers? It's, I mean, in terms of what I've spoken about on a few of these episodes now, in terms of adding to your goal difference, you know, doing making difference on the defensive side of the game in terms of preventing goals and making a difference on the attacking side of the game in terms of adding goals. I'm not sure Andre Gomez is, is anything. He just seems mm. a bit beige. You could yeah. replace him with almost any midfield player of fields and the difference in terms of actually, you know, moving the needle towards winning, it is completely, you know, it's not as barely felt. So yeah. that's my issue with Gomez, I think. Yeah, I agree. And um, that's basically what well, I've been saying since he arrived, even when, he, you know, midway through his first loan spell, when a lot of people liked him, I was asking questions. But, you know, it's uh, in terms of being fairly um, objective, I've had a little look at Gomez and he does look to be benefiting from the change in formation. We're seeing a better version of Gomez so far this season. Obviously, last season he was playing predominantly in a 4-4-2 and he was in a mid midfield duo really with with Tom Davis. Um and they, 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 it just didn't really work. They looked poor both going forward and defensively. But in the 4-3-3s three obviously occupying more of a space to the left. Um and that tends to be if you have a look at his average position as well. Something that you can have a look at on my Twitter uh, at DAHUs underscore. There's a visualization on there. He's a lot more wide left and it, it definitely seems to be aiding how he plays. For example, he's he's got a lot less defensive responsibility with the likes of Alan Decore alongside him. Although it's a small sample size, I had a quick look into it and so far he's made uh, 15.8 defensive pressures per 90, which is down from 22.7 last season. And he's only been dribbled past twice so far this season where last season it was on average of 3.46 times per 90 so you know he was kind of someone quite easily bypassed last season and this season he's he's getting relied upon less to kind of contribute in that regard I think it's better for him Um, and you also think in terms of the dynamics of the side as well you know him being on that left looking for those kind of switched passes towards where Rodriguez and Coleman are um just to add to that as well in terms of what you mentioned there about dynamics I think he's the way I've just said he's a little bit beige particularly on the attacking side of the game he's probably benefiting there from playing on the left of a midfield three because the two players to his left are are super offensive really in terms of Richarlison and Lucas Dean so they're both really attacking orientated allowing Gomez to maybe you know focus a little bit more on balance, focus a bit more on staying behind the ball, keeping the team compact and stuff like that, as opposed to an emphasis being on being on him and a burden being on his shoulders, really, to kind of come up with something on, on the creative side, which is clearly what he's naturally not the best at doing. Mm. Yeah, I agree totally. I think, he's, I think he's, he's got a good long passing game and right now where he is, he can kind of put that to use. He can go switch over to the right flank or you talked about two really attack-minded players on, on his side in the form of Richarlison, Luca Dean. You know, he can pl- play kind of long drill passes for them to run onto. It worked perfectly for them and I thought it was interesting that so far this season 
he ranks in the top two within the Everton side in terms of switched passes made. And the other one is, of course, the person who ranks the highest is Rodriguez, as you'd expect. Um, so when the ball goes out to that side, Rodriguez can either, you know, make something happen or if he's been crowded out, stifled, he can switch it back over to those two left-sided defensive plays that you've said. So it's it's a pretty effective chain of attack and he's found almost a spot within it, um, which is good to see because you're making use of players who maybe didn't look like they were going to be good enough last season. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll move on anyway from Palace, which, on, as I said, felt like a really good win. Actually, just before we do, Josh, something stu- stood out for me what, that you said last week. And I just want to kind of touch on it now that Evan come on the other, other side of this game with a win. I remember you talking about Liverpool as an example, saying that when they started beating teams like your Palaces and Burnley away, it felt like they went that next level. Maybe not in the sense of Everton now title ta- challenges, but in terms of you know pushing for a place in the top six. Winning these games is important to that, isn't it? Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned that Palace is a bit of an acid test for, for teams that are looking to go down the dominant route, almost looking to take the game to the opponents and all that sort of stuff because Palace, as I said, combine the need to defend counter-attacks while also being good enough on the attacking side to to break through a block. Usually to break through a block, you've got to commit players forward, you've got to get players into the penalty box. But that conflicts then with how you manage the counter-attack. So a lot of teams who are trying to be that side but are falling short or have weaknesses they get punished usually by Palace. Liverpool suffered from it for a few years. I think in recent times, City have suffered from it a little bit. Um, feels like Arsenal suffer from it, but I'm not too sure on how they've got on against Palace in terms of results. Mm. I think Palace might have done okay last season against Chelsea. I'm not sure. I'll double-check that in a sec. But I just think it, considering the makeup of that team, it just bodes well if you, um, if you can... If you can do well against Palace, if you can get a result against Palace, just because of the dynamic that they pose and how difficult it is to manage, as well as beating. Mm. Yeah, I agree totally. Good win. Um, midweek in the in the League Cup, as it starts getting a little bit more serious, as you know the the, the lower league sides start getting knocked out, and it looks like it's pretty much all Premier League again, or it's going to be after this round of fixtures. Uh, Everton, Everton played West Ham. Um, 4-1 victory, good win. Quick quick run through the numbers on it. Uh, XG, according to White Scouts, got it 1.63 to, to uh, 0.89. Evan had 14 shots, 6 on target. West Ham restricted to just 8 with 3 on target. Fairly even in possession. But a few changes for Everton. You know, obviously, Hammers and Allen did, did start, so did Charles. But you, you had the likes of Kunku starting on that left-back. Luca Dean as a centre back again, who looked you know faultless in there. Well, he's been such a good purchase, Luca Dean. But um, that that is another another good win, isn't it, Josh? Really, you know, that's six six wins on the bounce now. I think it is so far this season, six out of six. So it's it's just it's good to keep that kind of winning momentum, isn't it? Whilst you've got it, yeah, and it gets it gets to a point as well. I mean, speaking from the perspective of a Liverpool fan, you know, apologies mm. there, but. It gets to a point where you'll get to like you get into a match and say for example it'll get seventy five minutes in, and you won't be winning, and it'll it'll feel really alien almost, and um, you know you you'll find a way to win because not not nothing below that is is acceptable, and if you do maybe draw a match or lose a match, it will feel really weird even though it's you know the season's only maybe three or four three or four matches old. Mm. Um, just on that Luca Dean thing, I think it's really interesting that he's playing centre back there. I wasn't actually aware of that. Um, yeah. But the way the way that's been used as a you know a Carabao Cup lineup sort of thing, I wouldn't be surprised if that if that's an actual ploy that that Ancelotti's toying with in his head. Considering, I mean, he's, he's obviously it's early days, but that Niels and Konku is it? Yeah. Those, those look really really good. Yeah. Um, to the extent that in the near future he could be pushing for a start. Mm. But at the same time, if he's pushing for a start, 
you know, Lucas Dean is arguably one of Everton's best players and he's still only 27. Yeah. So you'd have to wait until the age, he reaches maybe the age of 30 to, to justify actually dropping him out. And that's that's considering, that's completely guessing what his level might be at that time. Mm. Um, and Kunku's 19 now, so he'd be about 22 when that happens. Maybe that's fine, maybe that's the plan, but I don't know, I've just seen a few clips of him. He looks really, really good. And yeah. I think if he keeps pushing as he is, Maybe it'll be just a means of getting both players in the team for Ancelotti. I think that's an interesting little tactic there that he's used. Yeah, I th- well, I, I think Luca Dean now has played. Um, I think he he dropped in as a. I mean, I'm I'm I might be getting my facts mixed up a little bit, but I think he dropped in as a centre back against Salford. He played there against Fleetwood, and he looked good both times. And then it was just. Like it, the kind of asset test was, you know, West Ham, a Premier League side. Who, you know, uh, people have the perception that they're not a great side, and you know, they're not the best in the, the division, but they are still a tough opponent. He was up against Haller as well, who again is, you know, a, a strong forward, difficult customer, and he was, uh, he was superb. He, you know, so he just seems to be so versatile. Um, didn't look out of place at all. My only concern was he's he's five ten, and I was thinking, you know, it's we know that centre backs really tend to need to be, you know, six foot plus, really strong pace. I think Dean might not have the physicality on paper, but he, he certainly holds his own, and it does all of a sudden give you that extra option. You know, you you have now got a player who can play multiple positions. You know, like a utility player, and that's important, especially in defence when you. When you're picking up injuries, um, so that you know he, he's just on reflection now. He, he's been a, a really good buy for Everton. Everton needed to replace Baines. He come in and took his shirt within a few games. Hasn't not, didn't lose it at all to Baines again. Baines basically retired as the number two, um, and now you're looking at, at one of the better left backs in the in the Premier League, and also a kind of makeshift centre back who who doesn't seem to. Um, lower the standard of the defence when he's in there and then we then talk about in Kunku you were just talking about then you know he is he, he looks so good I'm surprised Everton when he got him for I think they're going to pay 250 grand eventually but that's uh, that's buttons for what he offers I don't think he was as good in attack yesterday against West Ham but I thought certainly from a defensive point of view bear in mind he's playing Yarmolenko who's got you know 100 plus caps for his country um, tricky customer and he, he you know he dealt with them really well on the night yeah I mean just looking at Dean he, he probably looks more suited to playing as a centre-back inside the back three maybe mm. as part of a wide you know a wide centre-back sort of thing but mm. Everton obviously aren't going to play that um, but it looks like a competition to be honest that Everton are going for I think that's fair to say that it looks like Everton have got a clear interest this season in winning a domestic cup yeah, and it, well, it, it's it's required, isn't it? I think for me, although the League Cup maybe has lost some of its shine, certainly for you know the the kind of really top sides in England, it's a competition that you still enjoy winning. And I think when you haven't we haven't won something so long for Everton now, there's so many kind of the team you know the monkey off the back. Everton have accumulated a lot of them over the last few years. Um, the ones that stand out was the away records, you know, no win away at top six side, went and beat Tottenham on the opening day, which felt big. I think Liverpool's a really big one as well. Everton need to kind of get the monkey off the back in terms of winning a derby. Um, and then the silverware. I think if Everton can get rid of them over the next 12, 18 months, then it does kind of feel like it opens up a new dimension as to what they can achieve as a as a side, um, which will which will be important. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a mentality thing, really, isn't it? I think when yeah. Arteta got the job at, at Arsenal, I watched a few of his press conferences because I was quite impressed with how he spoke. And one of the things he referenced quite a few times was the, the, the need above all else that he'd learned at Manchester City was, you know, the need for, for just a win, a winning mentality sort of thing, where, whereby everyone's committed to winning and below winning, no matter who you're facing, is not good enough. Hmm. And I think that's what he's trying to establish at the Emirates. I think that's probably what Ancelotti's trying to establish at, at Goodison. Hence, despite it only being the Carabao Cup, it, it is silverware. It does it does add to that to that mentality that you're trying to create. 
Yeah, definitely. Just with, with you talking about that kind of mentality, just something I want to quickly touch on before we have a brief chat about Calvert-Lewin is, obviously won six games back to back now, but I've just had a look at the underlying numbers as well. And I don't even have had a chance to have a look, Josh. Maybe you can have a quick gander now while I'm, I'm, I'm going to reel them off for Everton this season. Now, there's a caveat in that it's still only six games and two of them were against lower league opposition. But they've, um, they're averaging 3.33 goals per 90 compared to just an average of one against per 90. Um, according to Scout, they're averaging 2.42 in terms of XG per 90 versus just 0.72 against. Um, and then in terms of shots, they're averaging 16.8 per 90 compared to just 7.67 against. No, so they the, the kind of doing, the, the, you know, they're not just winning games, but the the winning them in a in a dominant fashion, and and in a in a way that kind of makes them deserved, and kind of makes you believe that it can be sustained to some sort of level over a long period. Yeah, dominance is is the word that came to mind for me then as well. That, that they're the numbers that like you know your, your typical league leader, to be honest, would post in terms of just out shooting your opponents by doubling the amount posting at least one expected goal more than your opponents and obviously scoring maybe twice the amount of your opponents and that, mm. that, that that's their numbers that typically dominance top teams post um if you think of any virtually the, i think this got mentioned on the stats bomb podcast recently if you think of any, any decent team any half decent team going back a while has <laughs> <laughs> always kind of it's just it's just a thing good teams do. They just they outshoot their opponents by quite a fair amount, shoot a lot themselves and keep the opposition to few opportunities. That's just kind of what happens unless you're like Atletico Madrid or, or a team like that. <laughs> um but it's it's gonna be it is gonna be interesting to see if, if those numbers are, are retained because those are obviously quite vital performance numbers. And the idea is that the better your performance numbers are every single week in that department, the more likely you are to pick up a positive result. Obviously, other things can impact results like referees and just bad luck, injuries, red cards, you know, all that sort of stuff, flukes. But if you take care of the performance department, which Everton haven't over the past few years, then that's where you're likely to get consistency in terms of results. The teams that don't get consistency in terms of results typically post performance numbers that are just up and down, up and down. You know, you have a go, we have a go. And they basically leave the results open to the elements of chance almost. And Everton's numbers there, they're not doing that. They're, they're taking the game into their own hands, basically. Yeah, that felt a lot like you were describing when you were talking about the leaving it open to chance. It felt like a lot of the conversations we had last year when we talked about Marco Silva's Everton. Where it yeah, was, uh, yeah. it was very much in the balance, and yet some results went your way, and others didn't. And then sometimes, if you, if luck was out, you you then go and lose, like you know, three games on the trot, which I think happened to Silver a fair bit. He lost games that he was a little bit unlucky, but you know, didn't do enough to to win them. But um, yeah. that's it. If, if Everton continue these numbers throughout the season, then they're going to be closer to the the top of the table rather than the bottom, even if they have days where penalties go against them or referees have a bad game so interesting the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo josh let's talk about dominic calvert lewin because i uh, i missed it last night but i was i woke up this morning and i was scrolling my phone and uh, a tweet of yours come up saying it was only a matter of time before one of calvert lewin or charleston had a monstrous season i think it was the term uh, it looks like Maybe Richardson still will, but it looks like maybe it's going to be Calvert-Lewin who gets there first. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I thought it would be the other way around, to be honest. Yeah. Just before I touch on that, we, we mentioned last season there and Everton struggling for consistency. Mm. I'm just looking on Weisscoats here. Obviously, Weisscoats numbers can be a bit up and down. But last season in the Premier League, Everton's expected goals per 90 average was 1.39. And the opponent's average was 1.39. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the average number of shots per 90, 
shots against per 90, 10.6. <laughs> so it very much is just complete 50-50. You know, they can be a different winner every week sort of thing. Yeah, anyway, but that's, that's why they were mid-table, wasn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, but in, in terms of Giannis and Calvert-Lewin, yeah, just they're both for me. I've I've interpreted them for quite a while. And I was both having really high ceilings. You can you can just tell, and it was just a matter of time from my perspective before one of them had a Harry Kane like season where he just seemed to come out of nowhere and you know, I think he bagged like twenty five or something like that in the league. Um, and I, I think it might have coincided as well with Pochettino turning Spurs into a bit more of a dominant outfit. Um, yeah. And it's probably a bit too early, to be honest, to actually say it's Calvert-Lewin's doing it now, you know, his, mon- his monster seasons and now. But it's, I-, I just felt the need to tweet it because he scored another hat-trick. And he scored, I think he scored, is he scored in every game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After, after pretty after the game, came off at half-time. Yeah, I can't, I, let's have a stuck at Yeah, that was it. So Fleetwood, he never. Yeah, um, that. Yeah. Um, so so I, I just think he's, he's showing signs that his big step up, you know, the big step up in like in like a title thing there, is is happening now. Basically, um, mm. might be too early, and I, I I will say he is experiencing a really hot, hot a real hot seat. Like, um, yeah. he's took nineteen shots this season in all competitions, and 11, 11 of them have found the net. <laughs> That's a conversion rate of fifty eight percent. That will come down. Mm-hmm. I promise it will come down. Mm-hmm. Um, the best, the best converters around don't really post ever above thirty percent, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to be on fifty-eight, you know, that's going to come down. He's going to miss a few chances, but the fact he scored eleven of his first nineteen efforts, it's going to do a lot for for his confidence, really. I mean, it's a bit of an intangible, but I think in terms of strikers, the confidence side, the belief that they're going to actually find the net. It, it does play a part, similar to how it does with goalkeepers at the opposite end. So, um, yeah, I think it's one to keep an eye on, but I wouldn't be surprised if if this is a Calvert-Lewin year, basically. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I uh, I totally agree that's going to come down as well. I think that's important. You know, when, when, when he does go two or three games, maybe without a goal, hopefully people don't start writing him off again. No, he's, I've never seen a player written off more than him. But... I think what is interesting, he scored eight goals so far this season in his um how many appearances in one, two, three, four, five, five appearances, those. No, anyway, okay. But he scored eight goals so far this season, Josh. And that's um it was off an XG of roughly five point two. Now obviously it isn't an overperformance, as you've just rightly pointed out. But I, I wouldn't say it, you know. That's that's a daft over performance either. If it kind of feels like that's a decent, they're kind of decent XG numbers and a decent return off them, and it's 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 maybe the sort of return you'd expect off an elite level finisher. So it'll be interesting to see whether he can kind of maintain that over performance over a longer period. But I think what definitely helps is I don't know if are you on Calvert Loon's White Skull page by any chance? Uh, no, but it can be. Just while I'm 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 chatting, just just bring it up now because what what you, so go onto his shot map for and, yeah, select just this season and competitions, Premier League and Carabao Cup. And you'll you'll see that there's only two shots from outside the box and the rest yeah. are from what I consider really good locations. Yeah, very, very central as well. Yeah, central, close to the goal. Um, and it, 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 it's just a good indication of how he as a striker is doing all the right things. At the moment, he's benefiting from playing with players who create better and he's getting himself in really good positions. And that, to me, says it's, well, it's not, it's not going to be continued at this rate in terms of how many goals he's scoring. It does say to me that over the campaign, he should be right up there in terms of, you know, maybe... 20, 20 plus goals, you know, with the with with your kind of canes, most salas and things. Yeah, I think he should, he should certainly be aiming for twenty goals this season. I think he should, considering the stats as well. Yeah, I think he's on. I'm mean, on now five in the Premier League. Yeah, so he's already on five. So we just need, you know, he's a quarter of the way there with about ten yeah, percent so, of the season played. Yeah, he should, to be honest, 
if he's got anything about him, which I'm assuming he has, and if, if Ancelotti's in his ear as well, he should kind of be... I think Calvert-Lewin is team-focused enough for you to give him a really selfish objective. So I, I think if you was, if, if you said to Calvert-Lewin now, you, you should be targeting the golden boot. I think that gives him then kind of an individual accolade to target and a reason and almost a license to be a bit greedy, if you like, in and around the penalty box. Because I think he's too far, the, or he, last season at least historically, he's been too far the opposite side in terms of being just too nice, too much of a provider. And I think he's, this has obviously given him the confidence and the, the boost enough to go down the route of, you know, a, a, quite a complete forward who puts the ball on the back of net more so than he provides for others. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I did see a tweet and, and it took all my might in the world to not reply to it yesterday where someone said, I mean, really childlike terminology anyway, but he was like, oh, I'm only getting gold vibes from Calvert-Lewin. I don't think he's anything special as a player. And someone replied and said, what do you mean? He said, well, he just seems to score, but he, has, he can't do much else. And I was like... You couldn't be describing the complete opposite of Calvert-Lewin. If anything, he's been doing everything else for a while. It just hasn't been the, the goals to go with it. But um, anyway, yeah, another good win. Go on, Can sorry. I just clarify? I've, I got his, uh, his conversion rate wrong there. For some reason, I had him down as 11 goals from nine, 19 shots. He hasn't scored 11, he scored 8. <laughs> Uh, I was being polite there. <laughs> yeah, that that's still a conversion rate though, forty-two percent. Um, that as I said earlier, that's going to come down. Yeah, that's like a Vard, Jamie Jamie Vardy level from last season. I think that. Um, I think Jamie Vardy ended up with about thirty percent. I think. Oh, okay. I want to check that now, actually. While you're doing that, um, yeah, I know he was dead or dead about in terms of forty odd percent at one point last season, but he did go through a a barren spell kind of early on in the year just before lockdown. Um, I'll segue us away from West Ham, Josh, while you're having a quick look at that. Um, but yeah, a good win. It'll be interesting to see who Everton get in the next round because if they, if they can avoid one of the, the big teams, then you, you're basically into the semi-final. I think over two one-off matches, uh, Everton could beat any side really in the Premier League. So fingers crossed the draw is kind and could have a legitimate chance of winning something this year. Yeah, so Vardy ended the season Premier League only last year with a conversion rate of 26.4%. That dropped. Yeah. That was, you know, I'll tell you what, by January, that was about 42%. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think this is excluding penalties, this one. Okay. This is this is just me looking at the amount of shots he took um, and obviously doing the maths in comparison to the goals he scored. So I think, I think it's, I think it's excluding penalties, but I'm not sure. It was, mm. I, I would have, if I would have had more time, I would have been a bit more thorough with that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll we'll revisit further down the line when we see how many um, when we you know we see how many how many more goals and if he can keep it up. But we'll uh, we'll we'll round up by having a quick chat about Brighton, Josh, because I'm pretty sure Brighton so far um, they've played Manchester United, Newcastle, and Chelsea. They've only they've won one, lost two. Which you know to most people probably seems about right, but in reality, across those three games, they scored six goals, the outshot and some more of the ball than the opponents in each game. So just put that in perspective for a minute. I know you'd expect that against Newcastle, but the outshot Manchester United and the outshot Chelsea, and they had higher ball possession against both those teams as well. So. Based on that and with the fact that they've scored six goals in three games, do you think they've been a little bit unlucky, Josh, to be only 1-1, lost two? Yeah, I think it's a little bit combined being unlucky and not being very good at the business end of the pitch in terms of finishing. Um, I looked into this last season, so when when I checked, I think Brighton was the, the second worst in the league for the number of shots it took them pay a goal so I think the only team that required more shots to actually find a net was Norwich obviously Norwich suffered relegation in the end but I think Brighton are generally quite good on the attacking side of the game build up plays good um, quite creative and all that sort of stuff it's just putting the ball in the net they're not really 
I mean, I think I think he's United. One player on his own hit the bar. I think five times. Yeah, um, that was Trossard. I think. Yeah, but I don't like, know. He did. Did he hit all five? Answer that. I'm not sure good. how many did uh, did the World Cup as a total as a team, but I think Trossard was in in around like three to five yeah. on his own. I think five was the team, but yeah, Trossard was Trossard. I think got my the match. Which is rare for a team who get beat, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, on on the seconds, it, you could argue if Brighton had had Calvert Lewin this season, and Everton had, I mean, I'm not. This is going to make him look bad. If Everton had Neil Neil Maupay, yeah, you could argue that you could almost swap the positions of both teams. Almost, I mean, if you look at the shot count, currently fourth in the table for shots at Everton. Sorry, fourth in the table for shots at Brighton. Everton a fifth. And in terms of shots against, Brighton the second in the league, shots against Pay 90, Everton the third. Mm. So the actual numbers posted by both teams is vaguely similar. Everton have just got basically more penalties of better finishes and all that sort of stuff, better, better attacking players almost, higher quality. Mm. That's really interesting, those numbers, isn't it? Because you basically... Based on that, although it's not this black and white, but you kind of, as you said, you, it's maybe one or two players that are the difference between where Everton are and where Brighton are, um, which reiterates the point I was making, actually, that, you know, it's, it's Brighton aren't going to necessarily be, you know, so a walkover or an easy game. Um, they, I, they actually haven't lost a Premier League away game since, since February, which I think is maybe eight games in that time, which... I mean, I don't know off the top of my head who they play, but eight Premier League matches away from home undefeated is 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 a pretty good feat to be fair to them. Um, although yeah, they, to be honest, the, the numbers that they post and the way that they play, it, it wouldn't overly surprise me if every now and then Everton really clicked in in the final third, sort of thing in terms of putting the ball in the net. And it wouldn't surprise me if every now and then Brighton won a match like four nil or something like that. I mean, Newcastle 3-0 was that, wasn't it? Well, yeah, there you go, yeah. And I think they would tune them up inside, you know, 20 minutes or, or, or so, game is out of sight. So I think I think they're, they're capable of doing that every now and then. And I think maybe in the next window, if they, if they go a little bit further and sign attacking players who who were just a step up and who were going to finish chances that maybe Aaron Connolly and that will, will put wide, although the good players... I think they can climb the table even further. Mm. Well, on the subject of players, who do you like for them? You know, I think of Lamptey. I think Lamptey looked really good. And we were, me, yourself, and what, someone else in a WhatsApp group were talking about him this week, weren't we, about how kind of high his ceiling is. I think Trossard, just touched on Trossard, another good player. <laughs> it's like you do Mapai the disservice. But he uh, he does tend to score goals, doesn't he? Although he is boosted by penalties, but he's still a threat for me. Um, you know they, they do have some good players, and they have a Lewis Dunk's a, a good defender. Um, they do have some really yeah you know, kind of top top players throughout the side. The three centre backs that they've got are all really really good standard. I think Ben White yeah. is, a, is a player, and Adam Webster. I remember writing about him before Brighton signed him while he was at. It was Bristol City, I think. And he yeah, just yeah. Too good for that division. I think he's about six four, good on the ball, good in the air. Um and you know, either side Dan Burns a good player as well. I yeah. uh, I, I know our producer guy will be listening. He he covers a lot of Wigan games and I had a spell with up to where I, I watched a lot of Wigan while Dan Byrne was there in League One and I was really impressed by him and I'm not surprised that he's ended up, you know, kind of doing well at, at Premier League level. Yeah, I mean, and you obviously got the back three there, and to the to the right of the back three, as your wing back, you've you've got Lamptey, who, you know, I was I was speaking to you during the week, as you said, and I I am really big on Lamptey to be honest. I think he turned twenty, I think he turned twenty yesterday actually, oh. um, but as I can say, still very young, big big threat, um, despite being a wing back, but he's also got. Um, recovery pace and, and he's good in the duel on the defensive side of the game as well so he's a player that will make a difference to you in defence and attack his pace is incredible everybody knows that but his, his use of the ball is really good Um, just a player that I, I mean I've seen him linked with Bayern Munich 
for 25 million. And my first thought was, he's worth more. <laughs> that was my first thought. Not like, Bayern Munich going for him or, you know, and like that. Or he's only been at Brighton for six months or he's only 20 or something like that. My first thought was he's worth more. And I could see him playing for Bayern. Like he, he, I think he's that good. I think he's comfortably top six quality. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how he develops over the next five years. Yeah, I uh, I really like him. I can see the potential in him. I'm a little bit more cautious than yourself. I just think it can be, it doesn't just, it's really difficult sometimes to kind of continue on that upwards trajectory. I think of like, who's a really good example of a player who maybe not necessarily the exact same, but Sessegnon, I was going to say Sessegnon, you know, not the exact same type of player, but he looked phenomenal with Fulham in that season in the championship. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't worked for them really over these last two seasons. Um, he hasn't really. He's obviously made a bigger move to to Tottenham, and just hasn't really been able to to solidify himself in the side and reproduce, you know, that top level form. And don't I, I do think Lamptey's better. I must be honest, but that's why I'm yeah. a little bit more cautious. I think with Session, you know, he, he's a bit of an odd tactical fit, isn't he? Especially for a Premier League team mm. because he's not a left back, but he's not he's not a forward either. He's not like a left mid. Um. And I don't think, he, I think although he has output and he scores the odd goal, he probably doesn't have the output to, to demand a, a position in the final third and all that sort of stuff. But he's probably too weak for the defensive side as to play as a fullback. Whereas Lamptey, yeah, I think he's really, really suited to being a, a wingback. Um, but I, I could still imagine Lamptey to, to perform as, as a right back mm. um, for most teams. Like I think yeah. if, I think if Mourinho had Lamptey, at Spurs, the way he's not using Sessegnon, I think he'd be using Lamptey. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think they've, they've, they've made a mistake in letting him go, to be honest. No, I mean uh, Mourinho at Spurs. As oh, sorry. Okay. No, I, I, well, I still think Chelsea have made a mistake, but yeah, I understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, and, um, I think, yeah, I think Mourinho would. I think Mourinho would make a lot of use of him. He'd be a, a very good, good player for, for them. Yeah, I think, obviously, his, his major downside is his height. Mm. But, but I think I think anyone that focuses too much on that is is um kind of missing the trick and a bit unfair on the player himself to be honest because he's, I think he's clearly he's, he's got so many traits and so many skills that should be focused on above his above his, his height you know he's obviously quite mm. short but well, in my head I, I've just checked now as you were talking in my head I I had him as like a Bernard size um. But he's 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 five eight. No, Bernard's five five. Um, says, yeah, you know, five eight. Says, not bad. It says five five on Google. Like, oh, does it? But although we sometimes criticise White Scout, I'm inclined to go with White Scout more than Google on that one. I think they're a little bit yeah, more specific, aren't they? That's fixed on fair market. Yeah. Okay. Um, in the meantime, you know, I think what stands out for me player-wise with Brighton is they've just got a lot of good technical players. I think Trossard, you know, Lallana has gone there. I think Lallana is a really good technical player as well. And it's just something that Everton will have to, will have to be aware of. Um, what's transfer market saying? <laughs> transfer markets have got him as 5-3. <laughs> oh, that, no, that's, I don't that's, think he's 5-3, is he? Yeah, that's, that's ruined them as a source of any kind for me <laughs> on the back of that. Um, let's round up Josh with some predictions for, for the weekend um, so just considering what Brighton are like obviously we've established that he struggled to put the ball on the back of the net and considering how good Everton's defence has been it's, I think it's going to be a good game it's going to be too, a, a fairly high quality standard but I'm going to go for 2-1 Everton um, I think Brighton will score because of Everton's goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> just, just on that. I mean, if we've got, I mean, we haven't got, probably haven't got no, time. Have you, what do you think about Pickford and the uh, the West Ham goal? Uh, the West Ham goal. Uh, the box. Yeah, it was. Uh, basically, my mate asked me this last night, and I kind of tongue in cheek said, "My default reaction is to always blame Pickford." Um, <laughs> and maybe that's a little bit harsh, but I think he's a little bit slow to get over there. Um, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a good goal, but I think he could have done better. And I also think he could have done better for the 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 Palace header as well. Um, 
Yeah, I just, uh, I just think he's, he just looks average at the moment for me, Josh. That, that's my biggest issue. The numbers mm. says he's underperforming. He, when you watch him with your own eyes, he looks to be underperforming. He looks an average keeper, and it's, a, it's an issue. What did you think? Yeah, I thought that you know, the ball was on the kind of the corner of the of the box, and I think his he's positioned for that. And then once the ball shuffles over to more of a central position where the where the shot's actually taken, I don't think he does enough to to adjust his position for the new the new position of the ball. You know, the the ball had moved a fair fair amount. The ball had moved maybe off the top of my head, maybe ten, fifteen yards. But his his feet had it moved maybe maybe a yard, maybe yeah. two at most. And I think if he if he positioned himself better for the new position of the ball, I think he gets a hand to it. But he doesn't, and the ball goes in the far corner. So it's one of them that I think. I think the goalkeepers that focus a lot on the feet, like Allison comes to mind. I think Allison saves it. Mm. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's another one to add on the long list of <laughs> shot goals that seems to be conceded from outside the box with Pickford. But we'll uh, we'll touch on them on the next podcast, maybe if um, if we have time. But we'll, we'll round it up. Just in terms of my prediction, I'm going to go for another Everton win. I just think that the form they're in. Especially Brighton have never won a Goodison Park in any fixture, um, so I'm I'm hoping that might continue. I'll go for I'll try again with the three-one prediction. You know, I might just say that until it comes to fruition. So, you know, someday further down the line, but we'll round it up there. And we'll just as a heads up for for those listening. Though I know the um, the podcasts have been a lot more regular and the feedback's been great. I'm glad you're enjoying them. But that being said, we will probably be without and analyse Everton for maybe the next week or two um, just due to some annual leave and um, well that's it basically having some time off so you know, give us a break but um, we'll be uh, we'll be back soon-ish won't we Josh? Yeah. So uh, thanks very much for today mate. Yeah no worries mate Yeah and uh, everyone take care and hopefully enjoy the football on the weekend thanks You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo